Pushing Rubber Podcast Episode 45 I'd like to um, take a moment to thank uh, the traditional owners of the land that I'm sitting on to make this podcast uh, me <laughs> Welcome to the Pushing Rubber Podcast Episode 45 45 45 You know why I can remember that it is episode 45 45 45 Because I myself am 45 45 45 <coughs> Which is just about <coughs> Excuse me Dead To you Millennial fucks out there. Oh, look, I swore. Look, I had this thing. A listener, I'm not, it's going to be sweary podcast. It's, it's, it's just what I do. That's what the, this, this podcast, this podcast is my vent. That's what it is. And people listen to it sometimes in the hundreds and hundreds. I don't know why. I don't know why you're listening to it, but this podcast is my vent. So you know what? I'm going to swear and I'm going to talk about chicks and I'm going to talk about the fact that guys like chicks only for about one reason and that tends to wear out pretty damn fast with most of them. That's, that's the kind of stuff I do. So this is the Pushing Rubber Podcast. My name is Adam Piggott and if you listen to this for the first time, because uh, someone's told you to come and listen to this podcast, go away. I don't want you. You should have been in on the from the beginning like everyone else. With all of my millions of followers. Go away. Oh, I got that out of my, uh, got that off my chest. Um, hi, you know what? I'm in a really, really bad mood. Really bad mood, and uh, that's the perfect time to record a podcast. I don't often get in really bad moods, but I am in a, mmm, I am in one today. I've just eaten my lunch, and my lunch was white rice with a bit of soy sauce. Um, and that's not because I'm racially aware, it's because of the fact that I slept really badly last night really badly and it was because of food i'll get to that in a second i am the best sleeper i know i'm really really good at sleeping if any of you are listening to this and you think that you're a really good sleeper you're just an amateur you're just amateur mate you really are you're a total total amateur i am the gold standard olympic sleeping champion i do sleep exceptionally well I go to bed around 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, that's what time. I'm, I'm a morning person. I will sleep for eight hours. I will sleep for eight hours like a stone, like a like a rock, like a, a Buddhist Zen rock of sleeping plus seven, plus eight against dragons. That's how well I sleep. And I'll wake up at six o'clock and I will get up and I will be refreshed. I will not stir during the night, but I will have lots and lots and lots of dreams. I dream so much that when I wake up sometimes it's like, oh, I was having such a good time. I have to get up and face reality now. Sometimes I just wish I could have been a drug addict, but I just don't have the mentality for it. I also sleep like an envelope like you know when you put a letter into an envelope the letter just fits 
yeah so I tuck the bed in really tight and I just whoosh, whoosh, I slip in there and when I wake up in the morning my side of the bed is the same envelope it's like it's all still all tucked in it's not been ripped out or anything my wife's side of the bed that's a fucking disaster because she tosses and turns and she's a night person and uh, I don't even know how we're still together um but last night I slept really badly I went to bed it took me ages to get to sleep I almost got up again and I woke up all during the night and then my wife slept even worse than me and she got up at five o'clock in the morning and that just finished me off and I ended up getting up half an hour after that and the reason is I made a tragic cuisine mistake last night. I reheated leftovers a second time. The golden rule with leftovers is you reheat them once. You reheat them once, and then after that first reheating, if you haven't eaten it, it's got to go in the bin. You can't then... You can't cook something, stick it in the fridge, then reheat it, then stick it in the fridge, then reheat it again. Uh, uh, uh. That's a really bad idea. But I got home, I was starving. There was some pulled pork in the fridge with these great potatoes and stuff that I'd done on the barbecue on the weekend. And I just wanted some food. I just wanted some food and the wife was, didn't feel like cooking either. So we just oh we went oh it'll be fine and my tummy started to bubble man it was bubbling it was bubbling away ah like and then i went to bed and it was just i could feel my stomach i was going oh don't get food poisoning because by the way i've only ever had food poisoning once i've had you know gastro a few times and stuff like that but real food poisoning i mean food poisoning you can die from people say they, they, they get like a stomach bug and they go i have food poisoning i'm like you're a moron you are a moron. You didn't have food poisoning. If you had food poisoning, you'd be in a fucking hospital and you'd be praying for death because death would be preferable to what you have. That's what food poisoning is. I had it once. I was in Uganda. And yes, death would have been preferable to what I had. And I was like, oh, just, just be an upset tummy. Just do me a favor and be an upset tummy. Don't, don't. Don't, I'll do anything, God, I'll do anything. I don't think I've ever broken the re double reheating. To break the double reheating rule, you have to you have to break it twice. Because you have to reheat the food in the first place, not finish it, then stick that in the fridge. And the only reason you're gonna stick it in the fridge at that point is if you know is you know that you're gonna reheat it again. So just sticking it in the fridge is a mistake. Because then you're giving giving yourself the opportunity to sin, cuisine style. It should have been like an 11th commandment, don't reheat food twice. Mm. So, yeah, I didn't sleep well. So that's why I'm eating white rice with a little bit of soy sauce on it. That's been my lunch today because if you've got an upset stomach, the trick is just plain white food. So like white rice... Uh, plain pasta with maybe just a little bit of oil drizzled over it. Maybe not even a hint of garlic, just like a little bit of oil, salt and pepper. That's it, man. It's you just need white, plain, plain, plain food to get your st stomach back. And I am washing it down with a beer, <clears throat> but I've got to wash it down with something. Estrella, Estrella, 
um, Lager from Barcelona. Um, Barcelona, of course, is a terrible lefty shithole in Spain. If you're ever going to go to Spain, don't go to fucking Barcelona. It is just... If there's any listeners now from Barcelona, your city is a shithole. Your city is a shithole. The Rambler is just a shithole. Barcelona letter is a shithole. Your city is was always a leftist shithole. Always. Uh, I mean, you can trace that back to the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. Um... One of the first things that happened when the Civil War broke out in Spain in 1936, I think it was. There's a great history uh, by the military historian Anthony Bivor. Um, it was one of his first books he wrote was on Spain. He was just warming up for his, you know, Stalingrad um, opuses. Um, but one of the first things that happened in the Spanish Civil War was that uh, there, there were there were parts of the country that were really leftist, and there were parts of the country that were very, very to the right. Just like America right now. Like, uh, if you live in San Francisco, for example, right now, and you're a huge Trump supporter, um, I don't think you'd be going too well if civil war broke out, because San Francisco, obviously, is a hardcore bastion of leftists. Yeah? Um, I'd say, what's another hardcore bastion of leftists? I suppose Seattle. I suppose the whole fucking West Coast would be a hardcore. Um, Austin, Texas, that'd be a hardcore bastion of leftists, but they'd be fucked because they're surrounded by lots and lots of righties. So what happened in the Spanish Civil War is, is, it, is it if you were a known, politically you were known, let's say you lived in Barcelona and you were a known conservative, a known, known member of the right, uh, as soon as the Civil War broke out, especially, this didn't happen in the big cities so much, but in the little towns and villages around the place where everyone knew everyone else and knew all their shit, which made this even more scary, the very first thing that happened, as soon as word got out that the war had erupted, if you were a righty in a lefty town, or vice versa, if you were a lefty in a righty town, the very first thing they did was march you into the town square in the village there and shoot you. That's what happened in the Spanish Civil War. Yeah? Uh, and Barcelona was a huge lefty holdout in the Spanish Civil War. So it's, it's a huge lefty holdout, Barcelona. And on top of that, um, it's been totally invaded by culture and riches from Morocco. Totally invaded by Moroccans and gypsies. So don't ever, ever go to Barcelona, even though I'm drinking a Estrella Lager. If I was going to go to Spain, San Sebastian. San Sebastian is a spot, Basque country, on the Atlantic coast, right where the Pyrenees meet the coast. I don't think there's anything, I don't think, there's anything more beautiful in an area where mountains meet the sea. Um, and San Sebastian is that fantastic food, fantastic cuisine, lovely people, conservative to its roots. Um and great surf i might add great surf over in san sebastian uh yesterday i had the pleasure of meeting up with um someone who knew me back from the two plus two poker forum days so for those of you 
Um, if you don't know, my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, you can buy it now on uh, Amazon Book Depository, Barnes & Noble, wherever you want. Uh, paperback, ebook, audiobook. My first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, began life as a thread on the 2 Plus 2 Poker Forums, and the thread was called On Changing Your Life. And it it was back in 2007, and it affected a lot of people. Like A, a, a lot of people read it, and a lot of people um, changed the general direction of what they were going to do. And I met... Um, one of those one of those guys from the forum yesterday. He contacted me. He was coming through Melbourne. He's doing like a round the world trip before he sets up a new business, um, um, which I won't go into. He told me about it. It sounds actually really good. It sounds like a really good idea what he's doing. Um, his name is Tom, and he's actually going around the world first, flying first in business class for something like two months, and he's just using airline miles to do it. That he's managed to you know plunder from different credit cards all over the place which was a really lovely way to go because uh, i'm a big fan of airline miles now uh tom's 27 so when the pushing rubber sorry when the changing your life thread um i didn't want to call my book on changing your life it was good for a thread but for a book that, that's pretty well gay um so pushing rubber downhill was a much better choice but um so he was 17 when the thread came out. So good age to get uh, exposed to something like that. And I've, I've been contacted by a few people over the years who have come, breezed in wherever I was living in various parts of the world and, and taken some of them to do pretty big detours to travel up and meet me. And it's always, uh, it's always been a real pleasure. I've been very lucky in that regard. Uh, no one who's taken the time and trouble to look me up has been an, a moron. Um, but I suppose if you do take the trouble to to do that then you're generally not the type of person who is a moron so i'm, I'm quite open um to meeting up with these people um so the yeah the the, the threat affected him the book affected him and definitely changed the direction of what he was going to do um and he just wanted to meet me up meet up with me and buy me a beer um or 10 uh we didn't do 10 we actually were hung up for about three hours and it was really good actually um i was i was going into the city to meet him yesterday and on the way there, I was like, oh, what if, I, what if we sit down for the beer and one of the first things he starts going on about is, is like Trump and how terrible Trump is. And I thought to myself, oh, I just, I just won't be able to handle that. I just, what if that happens? Oh, God. You know, and I, I should have screened it beforehand and blah, blah, blah. But he turned out to be a massive, massive Trump supporter and he lives in san francisco i was trying to convince him yesterday i was trying to convince him that why why would you set up your business in san francisco he goes well that's all the where all the uh, it engineers are and blah 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 and he's an it engineer apparently and i said and originally he's from I think it was Ohio, and I was just like, "Why don't you set up in Ohio? Surely you can get engineers out there, and they're not paying, you know, four thousand dollars a month in rent in some shithole in San Francisco where there's, you know, people literally shit on the sidewalk outside your 
That's sort of your front door. Because that's what, that's what San Francisco is, because it's a lefty city, and that's what happens in lefty city. And yes, it happens in Barcelona too. Shit on the sidewalks, people. Shit on the sidewalk. Because to say anything would be racist. Ooh, you can't say anything. Ooh, ooh, we'll just live with shit on our sidewalks because we don't want to say anything. Moron. And he was like, he said to me, well, you know, you, you, could, you could do it. You could set it up in like Ohio or somewhere like that. But you get to like 10 employees and then you'd want to make the next jump and you wouldn't be able to ne- make the next jump. And I'd say, well, start it in Ohio anyway. Under the proviso, like you employ people and the proviso is like, guys, if, if you know, at a certain point when this grows to X, I'm moving the whole thing to this spot. So don't take any out any mortgages, you know, or buy anything stupid, um, like a um, like a brand new BMW or something like that. That I just love how people. I mean, it's got this day and it's, I look. I drive. I drive. A, I drive an. I drive what I, you could only describe as an ordinary car. Like you see it from the outside. It's a Toyota. It's a Toyota Orient, and you see it from the outside, and it just looks like an ordinary car. On the inside, I've actually got. You know, full leather interior, and it's got all the GPS and, and all the wing bang, and it's got a great little Lexus gearbox and drivetrain and engine and stuff like that. But from the outside, it looks very, 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 very average. And I paid cash. I didn't take out any loan for the bloody thing. Um, I bought the bloody thing outright. I've had it for five years. It's been a great car, actually. I'm selling my car. If anyone wants a great car and they're living in Melbourne, because I'm leaving... Selling the car, I'm pissed that I'm selling this car. I am pissed because it has been, it has been a great car, it's been a really good car. It hasn't skipped a beat. And this guy the other day, he's just like, he's got this BMW, and it's just like, it's not, it's, it's a, uh, it's, and he's like, he's looking at my car and uh, talking, he goes, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, nice car, man. Like that. And I'm like, what? What? And he goes, well, <laughs> that's the car. That's the car I bought. And then, he, and then he said to me, I bought this one. And I went, did you? Did you? Did you buy that one? Did you? And he looked at me and was just like all in shock. He's like, oh. And he's probably got $150,000 worth of car there. And it was a top of line boot. Oh, it was a 7 Series and all that. I went, did you buy that car? Did you really? Yes, yeah, man. What are you saying? Of course, I bought the car. Went so you own that car. You own it, do you? He's like, yeah, yeah. I went, oh, I went, all right. So you own that outright. That's your car. You don't owe any money on that. Oh, oh, no, man. You know, I got, uh, I got a loan from the bank. Oh, okay, okay. So the bank bought the car, and you're leasing the money off the bank and paying interest to do so while the car depreciates but you're looking at my car and going nice car bro he didn't like that it went down let me let's just say that comment went down like aids in a gay bar it didn't go down well at all but i'm just past the point of caring really with these people who make totally moronic financial choices and then try to compensate for their epic stupidity by lording it up over the rest of us. Oh, is that your car, man? Is that your car? Is that all I can afford? Like, I, 
I could walk out right now and pay cash for a car almost about the same as yours. I couldn't quite pay cash for what you paid for then, but I get pretty fucking close. But you know what? I don't, and that's why I have cash, you moron. I was talking with this this guy yesterday, Tom, the, the one that flew in and looked me up, uh, and and he's he's 27 and he's already he's got money, and he was talking about how. He was going through college because he's a, a poker player like me and he played a lot of poker. He played more poker than I did. And for him, money just wasn't an issue in college because he, he played poker back in the poker boom when you could get six figures in poker pretty easily without breaking a sweat. Now that's a little bit different. But the poker boom was the poker boom before um, what is known in the poker uh, world as Black Friday happened, and that was the day that the uh, Obama administration just eh, next online po- poker in the US and killed it dead overnight. Um, and that killed that income stream. But he was talking about how he he never had to worry about buying a drink or anything in college. But at the same time... He wasn't, he, he'd be like, he'd like buy a small beer and his college mates were buying $800 bottle service, you know, in these nightclubs. Oh, yeah, man, I don't, a, bottle of, a bottle of vodka, a bottle of like Grey Goose that you can just walk down to the shop and pay 30 or $40 for. You're going to pay $800 for that same bottle so you can have your bottle service in this nightclub, and he was looking and going, what you, he, he was telling me this story, we were talking about it, because I've seen the same thing as well, it's just, it's just like, where are, you getting, where are you getting the money, oh, don't worry about it, man, you got to live it up a little, man, you got to live it up a little, yeah, you deserve it, you deserve it, come on, man, yeah, yeah, we're going to get bottle service, look at us, woo, and they're just trying to, they're just trying to compensate here, so they're, People don't compensate for bad financial decisions after they've made the bad financial decisions. They also try to compensate for bad financial decisions while they're making the bad financial decisions. And in this case, the compensation is, we really want to get laid. How can we do it? I don't want to pay for a hooker because that's just bad. Uh, I know what I'll do. I'll spend the same amount of money, even more... um, on bottle service hoping to attract some girls who will think that we're baller and they'll sleep with us in inverted commas now for free and and and, and tom and i were talking about this last night and i was just, just like yeah and, and hey i used to own a nightclub in in the alps in italy and like did we have bottle service yep yeah yeah bottle service kept that club going that's what it did Bottle service kept that club going. People don't want to come in and buy a drink. What do people go out to a nightclub for? Because you can go and buy the same ingredients, sit at home, make it yourself, put some tunes on. It's all fine. What do people go out for? They go out uh, to see, primarily to see and be seen. Okay? So when you design your nightclub, uh, discotheque, as they call it in Italy. When we designed it, we had areas, we had zones that were slightly raised up from the others right from the beginning, 
And the raise up area had a little bit better furniture. And to get up there, that was the bottle service area. Mm. So we didn't just serve you the, the bottle and come out and blah, 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 blah. We'd serve it to you in the special. So to get in the special area, you had to get the idea. And people, yes, yes, people would pay for it because they want to see, but they want to see. So they want to see other people. You don't. They want to. Don't want to sit in the corner and they can't see anything. You, you, you're not. You want to perv on people. You want to scope out people and you want to be seen. That's why these areas are always raised up. That's why, like, if you go, uh, like in the in the 1950s in Hollywood, in some of the places that 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 the act famous you know movie stars went to, there was apparently there was a, a bar where there was like. Um, like uh, oh, Humphrey Bogart had a booth that was just his reserved, and there was like there was like ten ten or twelve booths in this bar, in this high class bar, and like four or five of them were permanently reserved. Like Humphrey Bogart had one, I think the the head of Warner Brothers had one, or something like that. And booths are the absolute perfect CLB scene seating receptacle because a booth. Uh, no one is sitting facing the wall. Like if you have, if you've got a wall and then you've got like a bench seat against the wall that's all nicely upholstered, then you've got a table, then you've got a chair. That person on the chair is facing the wall. Yeah, they're looking at the person who's sitting there at the wall. The person sitting at the wall is fine. They're looking at their scope in the room. But one half of that party, whether it's party of two people, four people, six people, eight people, one half of that party is looking at a fucking wall and the other has the best seats available. But a booth, you turn it all on an angle, a booth lets both parties talk to each other across the table, but also, also lets both parties scope out the room. That is incredibly, incredibly critical. And we had booths at my discotheque. We had one, two, three, four. We had four booths, four booths. On a New Year's Eve, those booths would book out Basically, the New Year's Eve in advance, that's when, that's when they booked out in the booths. That was like the booths and then the raised area, which was the bottle service. $800 bottle service, you're in college. Poor choices, people. Poor, poor financial choices. Um, let's do some shout-outs here to Aaron Clary, sponsor of the Pushing Rubber podcast. Um, if you want poor choices, if you've made poor choices... And you want to have some advice on your poor choices, then you can contact Aaron at Arsehole Consulting. Um, believe it or not, Aaron um, is a believer in the free market capitalist system and he charges you. I know. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. He actually charges people um, for this service. Uh, apparently, I was listening to one of Aaron's podcasts recently. Get this. Apparently, three quarters of the people who contact Aaron about a consultancy job, and, and Aaron normally charges only like 40, 50 bucks. Yeah. Apparently, three quarters of the people that contact him, he emails them back with a quote, never hears from them again. Never hears from them again. Who would have thought it? I actually think a 25% strike rate is pretty good, actually. That's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. 25% conversion rate. That's pretty good. But yeah, yeah, 75% of the people are contacting Aaron on a uh, consultancy 
company advertised as asshole consulting are surprised that there's a bill attached. But this works out who's prepared to have skin in the game. Skin in the game is where it counts. Now, another thing that Aaron wrote recently, and I, I referred to it today in the post I wrote. I wrote a post today called The Millennial Shit Sandwich. Because the Cappy has a post out, and let me just link, click on it here, um, called How the Left Blew Their Entire Racist Load. And basically, Cappy has a clandestine agent in the field who is a teacher in the, in the American left-wing public school system. And that person told Cappy that kids today aren't swallowing the crap anymore. They're not believing all the privilege and racist stuff. Apparently, the teachers have become so zealous, so ardent in their uh, attempts to create brainwashed little propaganda victims that the kids have just seen through it. Uh, not, only, not only do they not believe any of it, but they uh, mock it and ridicule it. So we'll call the generation that's school, still in high school now Generation Z. My generation is Generation X. Generation X is the coolest generation of all. Thank you, thank you. And the generation in between is the millennial generation. These are the kids who are just in college now or have graduated college in the last five so years. Whatever. Now, the millennials swallowed everything hook, line, and sinker. Absolutely everything that the leftist propaganda overlords were shoving down their throats. Uh, all, of the, all of the crap that you see about white, white privilege and racism and feminism and, and everything, um, sexism and all of the different types of gender that you see on campuses today and, and stuff coming out through human resources departments in companies and companies in Australia trying to stuff the whole gay marriage thing down their own. I mean, don't forget that the, the companies in Australia like Qantas and Airbnb are now promoting this this black ring with a little gap in the bottom in one part of it, so it's not perfectly formed ring, uh, and they've, they've given this to their employees to wear if they want, in inverted commas, to show, this is to show their support uh, for gay marriage because it represents the fact that the, the, the ring that's not completely closed means they haven't got equality yet. Oh, they haven't got equality. Ah. Fucking safe space. So, so companies like Qantas and that, I mean, obviously it's just like, oh, here's this ring, you know, you, can, you don't have to wear it, but of course what goes unsaid is, but we'll be able to see really easily if you're not, and we'll be able to see that you're not on the bandwagon. Yeah. All of the people who've come in and infiltrated these organisations, these are all millennials. These are all fucking millennials. Yeah. The millennials believe the shit en masse to a much greater extent than Generation X's or, as we're seeing now, Generation Z's ever have. But what I wrote about today, this, this is what I call the millennial shit sandwich. So the fact that Everyone's in competition with everyone else, yeah? So Generation X is where we're snapping at the heels of the baby boomers, all right? And the generation, there was a kind of a generation, by the way, I don't know, baby boomers then us, I suppose. We're snapping at the heels of the baby boomers. 
because we everyone's it's a dog eat dog world you're out there you're competing it's just like and it's pitiless you got to get out there you got to hustle you're in competition with these people you're in competition with your peers so i'm in as a generation x so i'm in competition with generation x's people like aaron clary we're in competition with each other yeah people could buy aaron's books they could buy my books Mm-hmm. we still support each other but we are in direct competition with each other and we're in competition with the baby boomers as well and they're just trying to hang on and get as baby boomers are trying to hang on and get as much money as they can to retire on yeah they're not they're not quitting their jobs at the moment but us generation x's we're also in competition we're also in competition with the millennials who are coming up behind us coming hard well you'd think they're coming hard and fast on our tails ready to whoosh, overtake us, which is what they should be doing. But they haven't, have they? Millennials haven't been doing that. They've bought into the whole into the whole propaganda thing, the whole equality and diversity and civic nationalism and 27 different genders and, and you know, human resources, diversity hires, feminism... Gay marriage. <laughs> That's where all their focus and energy has been. So us, us Generation Xs, we're like, we're hammering each other, we're hammering the baby boomers, but there's no, there's literally no one coming up behind us that we're having to look over our shoulder for. Because it's like, millennials, are you shitting me? Are you shitting me? I've got to look out for millennials? What, they'll wet their pants before they overtake me? You've got to be joking, right? But here's the thing. Everyone's in competition with each other. Hmm? These Generation Zers at school, if they're not believe, if, Cappy, what's, if what Cappy's agent in the field is saying, if they're not believing the bullshit, are they, are they not going to fall for the university con? Are they going to forgo university and like finish school at 17 and go straight into the workforce and not take on like 100 thousand hundred and fifty thousand dollar debt for nothing and get right out of the workforce and get an entry-level job and get get real marketable skills that they can use imagine if they do that well i mean apart from the fact that universities would collapse overnight everywhere which would be a wonderful thing because university is to education what prostitution is to love let's be honest that's not my quote, by the way. Um, it means that millennials will have invested all of this in the universities. They're completely brainwashed. And they're not, not only they're not overtaking and not attempting to overtake Generation X, they'll have Generation Z steamrolling in behind them like this all-conquering juggernaut that's just going to obliterate them. And roll them flat. That's why I call it the millennial shit sandwich. They've been squeezed. They've been squeezed by Generation X because the millennials themselves didn't compete against us. They didn't try. They wanted a helping hand. They wanted handouts. They wanted welfare. And the next thing they want is 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 debt forgiveness for their their university degrees, which they would have got if Hillary Clinton had got in. But guess what? Trump did. So mm -mm, bad luck on that one. You'll have to actually live with the consequences of your actions. Oh, oh, oh. That was me getting all shade and freudy. 
Not only that, they've got Generation Z coming in behind us. It's just going to be a, it's going to be a mess. Look, as I wrote in my piece today, when the Israelites left Egypt all those thousands of years ago and were freed from their bondage, they didn't head straight to Israel and set up a nation. They wandered for 40 years in the desert. 40 years in the desert. And it's not that far from Egypt up to... It's not like they probably didn't have a compass or couldn't follow the stars or anything. What were they doing in the desert for 40 years? Why did they waste so much time? Well, they didn't waste any time. They were playing the long game. The long game, gentlemen. They were playing the long game because they knew that they'd been slaves in Egypt and they'd been slaves for a very long time. So they had a slave mentality. Even though they'd been freed, their minds weren't freed. They were still in bondage to their overlords. They believed in a system that they'd lived with to such an extent that that's why when the Israelites left, the first thing they did was they got the golden calf. Remember the golden calf from your Bible studies days? And they were worshipping the golden calf. And Moses was like, what the fuck are you lot doing? And that's when the Ten Commandments and blah, blah, blah. But they still had to wander 40 years in the desert. And that's because they had to wait for all the people who had been slaves to die out. Before they could then go on and found their nation. Because you can only construct a nation with men who have been born with free minds. It's the only way you can do it. And that's why they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Millennials have had their minds poisoned. They literally have had their minds poisoned. We look at these, what's going on in these campuses and what's going on in human resources departments and other soft, you know, ridiculously crap, um, soft jobs like marketing or public relations or whatever the crap they do is. These people have had their minds poisoned. They're not going to wake up. They're not. They're not going to wake up. They just aren't. You can't wake these people up. The guy I met yesterday, Tom, 27, so he's a millennial. Man, if you are a millennial, one of the very, 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 very few, very few, when we talk about the mass of millennials and how many are actually woken up, if you're one of the very few millennials who are not victims of this mind bondage that the greater mass of that generation are, then you have a massive advantage to competing in the open market because most of your peers are you've have already been defeated Before you even go out your front door, you've defeated them because they've defeated themselves. If you can't succeed in that environment, then you've got no excuses whatsoever. If you're a millennial today and you are not a victim of this mind bondage, really, your peers are useless. Your peers are sitting around playing video games at best, at best. Or they're ordering $800 bottle service. $800 bottle service. Is anything more useless? At least the guy with the $150,000 BMW that's going to probably probably end up costing him, once he pays the interest and pays for insurance and depreciation, probably end up going to cost him a quarter of a million bucks for a car. 
And by the way, there's cars that there's a, there's a car I love. Car I love is a Jaguar. I think it's the XJ8. Yeah. And when that car came out, oh, that that car is a pussycat of a car, and I mean that in a good way, not in a derogatory way. That Jaguar XJ8 from like the late 90s. I just love the look of that car. It's got a V12 engine in it, I think. No, XJ8. XJ12? Fuck. It doesn't matter. Whatever the car is, you can pick one up now, secondhand, because this is not a car, because it's still too recent. I think in another 15 or 20 years, this car is going to be worth a lot of money. Um, but you can pick one up now for about 25, 30 grand. Fraction of the price of what they what they cost when they came out. An absolute fraction. Who's going out and buying a brand new Beamer convertible 7 Series now? It's like, why, why would you do that? If you really want that car, that particular car, if you really want that car, just wait 10, 15 years. Get that car then. Yeah, if cars are still around at that point. But $800, what can I call this episode the $800 bottle service episode? Because if you're, if you're ordering $800 bottle service, you're going about things the wrong way. All right. Um, you need to save your pennies, boys and girls. And if you're a millennial, you're basically fucked. And the only thing you can do is, like the Israelites in the desert, just you know, wait to die, I suppose. Um, but if you're one of the millennials who wakes up, you have a huge, huge, huge advantage. So simultaneously millennials are the unluckiest generation but they're also potentially the most fortunate generation because so many of your peers in that generation have been handicapped handicapped themselves or willingly bought into their handy mind slavage so that's the podcast for this week kitties take that as you will take that for what you will take that and and i don't know Stick it where the sun doesn't shine. Uh, buy my books. Pushing Rubber Downhill is my first book. Um, and that the subtitle of that is A Journey to Manhood via Whitewater Adventures. It's how the story of how I freed my mind by myself from sheer determination. And it is gives you, it doesn't give you a path to follow. It gives you an example to inspire you. Like Tom, who I met yesterday and took all the trouble to track me down flying to Melbourne on his round-the-world trip. He was here for one day, one night. He flew out. He flew out this morning. So he came here. He lobbed in to say hi to me. And the reason is because my book and that thread had such an impact on him. And he's a millennial whose mind has been awakened. Um, I didn't change his life. Tom did that. Tom did everything that Tom did that I met. The, the young man that I met, who was very impressive yesterday... A lovely guy to hang out with, intelligent, articulate, and great idea for a future business, which I'm pretty sure he's going to pull off, and he's got just as much chance of anyone. Tom did all of that himself. I didn't do any of that for him. But my book gave him some, some, gave him some inspiration to look at things differently and then go do the work for himself. So that's what my book can do. If you haven't bought my book yet, well, go buy my book. Tell your friends about my book. Buy my book as a gift. Give it to your friends. I'm not out there sucking up on Patreon or any of that bullshit. All right? I'm not a... I'm not a people who are on Patreon are the panhandlers of the internet. 
the panhandlers of the internet. And that's not what I do. But I do have my products out there. I've got my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, I just told you about. My second book, Run Guts, Pull Cones, which talks about masculinity, male environments, all in the back backdrop of a, a rafting season in the Italian Alps. So it's cool, there's Italian chicks in it. They're my two books. Working on the third one now. It's taken me longer than I thought, I've got to be honest. Um, but there it is. Grab those. Tell your friends about this podcast. I'll probably tell them to go away. But, you know, that's because I'm in a bad mood. I hate you all. Kissy, kissy, bachi, bachi. Ciao, ciao. See you next week.